Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. It's the 15th of March and I'm Simon Copland. I'm Benjamin Riley. Welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about compulsory heterosexuality. We're taking a slightly more theoretical approach. Simon and I are both avid researchers and readers, and recently Simon read a classic essay from Adrian Rich titled Compulsory Heterosexuality and the Lesbian Experience. The essay was published in 1980 and played an important role in the burgeoning theory of compulsory heterosexuality. Uh, Rich's essay is quite extensive, and we'll put a link to the notes, uh, the show notes. Uh, but in essence, she argues that heterosexuality is not a, an assumed nor a natural term. In fact, she contends that, and in quotes, heterosexuality, like motherhood, needs to be recognised and studied as a political institution. This is an institution, Rich argues, again in quotes, uh, which it, within which women have been convinced that marriage and sexual orientation toward men are inevitable, even if unsatisfying or oppressive components of their lives. Rich's focus, as outlined in the essay title, is on lesbian experience. In particular, she sees the institution of heterosexuality as a means of male oppression over women and the lesbian experience as a rebellion against that. It's important to note here that Rich uh, separates lesbian experience from male homosexuality, stating that, again in quotes, uh, to equate lesbian experience with male homosexuality because each is stigmatised is to deny and erase female reality once again. In turn, male homosexuality as a defined sexuality has a different political reality than lesbianism. Keeping on, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, in particular, Rich rejects the idea of sexuality being inherent to our being. Uh, according to her, we are not born this way, as many would say today. Instead, sexuality is a political uh, is political, with heterosexuality being enforced as the norm due to political reasons. In particular, for rich, heterosexuality has been enforced as a means for continued male domination over women. We wanted to talk about this as I thought it had major impacts on gay and lesbian politics today, in particular in a world in which the gay gene has been culturally accepted, even if not yet scientifically proven. This, I believe, has major impacts on queer politics, and not always for the better. So, after all that, let's get going. Uh, ben, was Rich uh, correct in describing heterosexuality as a political institution? And what does that actually mean? 
So already there's a lot to unpack just in that first question. I think it's interesting. I wanted to to say that um, that you talk about uh, born this way and the gay gene stuff because obviously, you know, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that more. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, it's not something that really factors into her essay very much. Um, the whole idea of biology. I mean, she talks a, a lot about kind of psychoanalysis as a basis for for explaining sexuality, but. I, th I think that the, I mean, the gay gene stuff is, is um, uh, I mean, people have been talking about it for a, a, a while now, but it, it's only really entered the, the mainstream uh, gay consciousness, I think, relatively recently. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. So I suppose it's, it, it's, it'd be interesting to, to go into that in a bit. Um, I guess what she is saying, describing heterosexuality as a political institution uh, you know, obviously the idea that, that heterosexuality is assumed to be the default, I think that's a pretty kind of uncontroversial, no matter what you think um, is the kind of basis for uh, for sexuality, people would probably agree with that idea. And I guess rather than focus on, on causes of it, she looks at, at effects um, and arguing that it's a, uh, arguing against heterosexuality as a political ideology, um, she, she looks more at who benefits from it, I guess, you know, as is, mm -hmm. as is a, I think a pretty good way to examine, um, all ideologies, um, ideologies have, have goals. Um, and if you place heterosexuality in that context, the, most of the essays are kind of breaking down what, uh, the, you know, who benefits from it essentially. Um, and she really frames it in terms of, uh, patriarchy. So, you know, if you argue, and I, I think you can make this argument that ideology is about, um, limiting the agency of particular people by constraining possibilities of thought and, and possibilities of action. Heterosexuality does that by cutting women off from the possibility that they can have meaningful relationships with women and, or in fact, that the most meaningful relationships they can have are with women. So rather than kind of think of sexuality as um, biological or even cultural, like culturally contingent facts, rather than thinking of sexuality as, as uh, essential, I suppose, um, in in whatever ways it, that causes it, it's it's reframed as um, a, a a way of a, a means of control, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, interesting that you use the term ideology there, and I think it's really relevant uh, to this essay and and to a lot of what I've been thinking about since I've read this piece. Um, I think it's really challenging. Um, to ask the question, is heterosexuality an ideology and is in turn, and I think that there is a flow on from this, is in turn the idea of homosexuality part of an ideology that is dominated by heterosexuality? And it's really challenging to our, to our essence of understanding what sexuality is and, and in particular in the, in the modern day and different to a time when, when she wrote this piece, um, where the ideas of being born this way is, has become really entrenched in our society and we've, we've created a much stronger biological link with sexuality, which, which I'm, which I challenge. Um, I think it's really important to go back to this and, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it was, um, that I think that we need to reframe it and look at the idea of heterosexuality as an ideology again. Uh, and there's a lot to unpack in what that means, but there are particular reasons, there, sorry, there is a particular history to the development of heterosexuality as a term um, and as an institution. And there are particular reasons that came out uh, and the, the reasons why, that, why it appeared and why the counter term of homosexuality appeared at the same time. 
Uh, and, you know, just to go back, you know, I've been doing a bit of research on this um, for some of my other work and, you know, terms like heterosexuality only really appeared in our lingo, in our, uh, in our lingo in the late 1800s early 1900s and only really became really popular in the in the 1900s uh, and really connected to a very um, individualized idea of sexuality in which uh, sexuality became an inherent part of yourself it became part of your identity uh, and that was linked very significantly with um, a continued oppression of homosexual sexuals it allowed people to identify homosexuals it allowed identify, homosexuals to identify themselves but then it also allowed homosexuals to be pushed aside to be um, to be designed uh, created as a sort of um, medical obscurity sure well i guess by 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 defining normal, you are able to define abnormal. Exactly, exactly. And there are particular reasons why that occurred and why that occurred at a particular point of time. Of course, there is a history of of um, oppression of people who we would now call homosexual, you know, well before this period. But the, the identification of heterosexuality and homosexuality was was really important in this time, um, and it and it and it really linked uh, with the rise in in medical science as well um, that allowed for uh, uh, homosexuals to be placed into a, sort of the uh, idea of being a sexual deviant and it being a, a sort of biological deviants um, that they could be that we could be treated for uh, and so that history of, of heterosexual um, norms of, of creating heterosexual norms is really important I was gonna say I think I think there are uh, a couple of things probably that we should expand on here that uh, mm-hmm. I found very interesting the way that rich defines lesbian because even yep. that is like really kind of outside of how we would think about sexuality now and she kind of goes out of her way to um, really expand on the idea that it, that it's not just the idea that um, a, a, a woman would be sexually attracted to to women, but it's it's a kind of, she she calls it I think a continuum of um, ways of being ways of yep, women yep, yep, being yep. with other women in kind of intimate ways. Yeah, absolutely. And and she kind of refers to to various. Um, uh, social structures and social settings throughout history and in different contexts where where women have kind of um, bonded and and kind of drawn strength from each other in all sorts of settings and not just explicitly uh, sexual ones. Yep. Um, I think the other thing I think is really interesting um, is that uh, the idea of heterosexuality is ideology and when, when we talk about born this way and we, when we talk about the gay gene what's usually kind of placed as oppositional to that and certainly how i think about it is the kind of nature versus nurture debate you know that what we're talking about is um whether people are just born with you know this well, born this way it's, it's in the it's in the phrase yeah, um, yeah, yeah. or whether uh people are kind of culturally conditioned to to you know result at adolescence or whenever as or, or before that uh, um, to kind of pop out the end of some cultural culturally contingent process as um, this gay, sexual as being homosexual yeah uh, and that those are that's the it's the either or, or maybe some combination of both you know um, but both of those conceptions despite being seen as like two sides of an argument are still ways of essentializing heterosexual uh, uh, essentializing sexual sexuality regardless of which side you come down on, you know, whether you're born this way or whether you're kind of made this way a few years later, it's basically saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because I think those two points that you've just drawn out uh, are very linked as well. So 
Um, I agree with you fundamentally that both of those sort of formations are a form of essentializing sexuality and, and creating a fixed idea of what sexuality is and that once you sort of pop out that end, whether you were born born this way or made this way, you sort of are stuck with it and it is what it is and there is no changing of it. You are, I you know, for me, for example, I would be told that I am a gay dude and that is what I will be forever and that is how, how I will live my sexuality. Um, and I think that when you talk about Rich's uh, approach to the concept of lesbian and the concept of it being about, not just about that sexual experience or even that romantic norm, but about being different forms of women having relationships with women, you can see a blurring of those lines of identity that allows for greater agency in particular for women to identify their relationships with women in ways that I think uh, she would argue uh, uh, give them much more agency around their own sexual choices and that was how she saw lesbianism and she talks about it a couple of times of the idea of lesbianism being the breaking of a taboo and being a an active choice that women make to break a taboo and to break through the the patriarchy. So there's a whole lot of agency that's provided behind that. And I think that her um, her definitions of lesbianism and her definitions of um, it being about relationships between women is really important in shaping that um, as it not just sexuality is not just being a sort of sexual thing even um as it being much broader being about how we relate to each other as a whole yeah totally i mean and, and you know, i feel like once you start to kind of follow that thread the the term sexuality quickly stops making any sense like if we're saying that sexuality is is, is just or if, if we if we take her uh, definition of lesbianism as being just how women relate to other women i mean we're so far away from the way that we would define sexuality. Mm. I mean, what it, what even is that? I mean, it kind of raises fundamental questions about what sexuality, what sexuality even is. But I think that's the point, isn't it? In that, what she's well, arguing, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and because she's arguing that it is a political institution. So it's not just, and this maybe this this goes a bit meta, but it's not just that heterosexuality is a political institution. It's that the idea of sexuality itself is a political institution, mm. and that goes back to why I was bringing up some of that history about the the terms of heterosexual and homosexual, and it being about your linking to your yourself is because it was because that was a political act um, to create, connect sexuality to your identity that didn't occur up until, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, so it does challenge our understanding of sexuality. And I think that's kind of an important challenge that we should at least be thinking through uh, whether or not we agree with it or whether we think we should adopt it. But at least we should be thinking through it that uh, sexuality is not some inherent thing that we are born with you know we are not born with asexuality or we are not made into asexuality and it's not a natural term that necessarily means has always meant what we think it means i mean if the you know this idea of sexuality has been around for you know a, a century or, or so um and if there's kind of fundamentally perhaps little difference between a culturally contingent sexuality or a kind of psychologically contingent sexuality and, uh, you know, the kind of biological gay gene born this way stuff. What do you think has changed with this new born this way discourse? I mean, does it represent something new or is it really just a continuation of the same path we set down by defining sexuality at all? 
I think I would argue it is the continuation of a path that was set down a while ago. And I think it's the, and, and this is something I really wanted to delve into in this, in this podcast. And I think it is, um, particularly when pushed by a gay activist, I think it is a reinforcing of sexuality and in particular heterosexuality as a, as a, as a norm, as a political institution. Um, and, you know, and you were right in saying that this wasn't around in Rich's time, but since that time, we have seen the increasing focus on the idea of there being a gay gene and on homosexuality as being, as us being born into that. And in turn, that that sexuality is part of a, mo- a minority, um, that it is inherently a minority of people who are born into homosexuality, um, a small minority, um, and that those people, and that that is some sort of biological... Um, obscurity some sort of some sort of bio, strange biological thing that has happened to us and a deviation a deviation yeah i think deviation is a word that's often is, is that the nicest word to use does not <laughs> make it doesn't make it sound like you know where it's a bad thing or something like that um but yeah you know it, it creates this idea that there is a biological minority and therefore that heterosexuality remains the norm and therefore the norms of heterosexuality remain entrenched um, and so I see the gay gene as a, an entrenchment of the idea of heterosexuality as a political institution. Um, and that is one of the major reasons I have such such big problems with it. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it like that before. I mean, what, what, you know, do you have an immediate reaction to that idea, though? Uh, no, I mean, it, it makes sense, I guess. Um, it's funny, I mean, doing this reading has really, I guess, made me question my own assumptions about um, the essentialism of sexuality, I guess, uh, you know, I mentioned before that either or proposition uh, around nature or either or like, you know, the idea that the two poles of nature and nurture uh, represent the, the boundaries of, of a, a possible kind of reality for how sexuality is created. And, you know, I think I, I think I totally think about it that way. I mean, and, and I mean, this is the thing about ideologies is that, they do constrain the ways that we think and Mm -hmm. act and feel. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And you can't, you know, there is this fallacy that I think is is often um, uh, perpetrated by by people who um, indulge in, in, I think, identity politics in particular, but really a lot of kind of critical thinking um, that as soon as you are aware of an idea, you are somehow kind of free from its bounds, uh, which is, I, I mean, it's clearly kind of bullshit. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I feel, I mean, my sexuality feels essential. I mean, it feels like an inherent part of me, um, which is not to say that it's not, but it's, you know, it really kind of goes to the core of that to kind of go well it may have been produced by the current cultural context or social context mm. to feel essential, but that is all. Yeah, 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 and I and I feel the same way. Like my sexuality feels and and has often felt um, essential to me, and it feels you know I could easily be someone who would say you know I was born this way or you know I was made this way at some point of time, um, but this has led me to challenge that perception and and also to challenge the perception that how I feel sexually now is is what I'm stuck with or not stuck with I'm quite happy with how I am sexually now, um, but it is it is what I what I will be like for the rest of my life and and I think about it often not just in terms of gender, as in terms of like homosexuality versus heterosexuality, but I think about it even in terms of uh, uh, sex, uh, sexual desires within those those particular genders. Um, you know, obviously acknowledging that there's a lot of blurriness of gender as well. Um, but, you know, the idea that uh, in the past, you know, I had different tastes in guys, for example, than I would sure. now. And that, that is a shaping of my sexuality that is different. Um, and that's something that I think I've had some agency over and some, some sort of changing over uh, and the capacity to change myself and to break down some previous perceptions I've had about dudes um, based in cultural assumptions that I wasn't happy about. Mm. Uh, and breaking those down has been really good and important to me. And I think that it is possible to do the same. Um with when it, when it comes to things like gender and 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 sex, um, I was thinking as well that it. I mean, one of the one of the um, that the context in which this essay was written, I think, is also really important, and that it it came out of a period in the seventies, in particular, in 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 lesbian circles, in which women. Um, were saying, you know, largely as a response to patriarchy and a, and a response to male violence, um, a lot of women were saying, you know, we choose to be lesbians because we want to escape the the, the sort of the patriarchy. Sure. Uh, we make that active choice to do so. Uh, and we make that active choice uh, f knowing fully that it comes with potential consequences. Um, and we make that active choice within this context of, of compulsory heterosexuality. And I think that Rich talks about that. And I think it's kind of sad that we've lost a lot of that in gay communities, that, that gay and lesbian communities, um, the idea that you can make an active choice and that you can have some agency over your sexuality, I think is actually um, quite problematic and and can have some real negative impacts what are your thoughts on that 
I mean, it certainly, it still comes up from time to time. I was just thinking when you were talking before about um, your, it's such a funny way to put it, your tastes changing, mm-hmm. um, sexual tastes changing. And I feel like this comes up a lot around uh, racism in yep, gay yep. communities that you often see on uh, hookup apps like Grindr, um, people essentially defending their racism, usually against uh, East Asian men. Um, but God, it's so it's so awful, and it's like so it specific, really and it's so widespread um, by saying. Uh, you know, no offense, it's just my taste. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's kind of a, it's such a confronting proposition because whilst it it's clearly kind of not a great situation to have a bunch of usually white men saying that there is an entire section of the the gay community that they are not interested in and kind of, you know, just kind of reject both sexually mm. and I would say socially as well, yep, given yep. how intertwined those things are in, in gay communities. I mean, that that's clearly crappy, but given how essential our experience of sexuality often is, trying to... I mean, it's one thing to say to someone, don't be a jerk and don't put that on your grinder profile like that's a pretty straightforward thing it's quite another thing to say to someone make an active effort to broaden what your sexuality is yeah and i'm not saying and you know i think that's a very kind of worthwhile project but i mean god how the fuck do you do that uh i think um the issue is that it's really hard to do that at, a, at an individual level, and and I've faced this myself. You know, talking to dudes on Grinder who have no Asians on their profile, being like, you know, why do you have that there? It's quite offensive. You probably shouldn't have that there. Um, you know, and you know, getting that pushback. Oh, it's just a preference. It's not. I'm not racist. It's just a sexual preference. You know, you know, it's just the same as some people aren't into. You know, some people aren't into big dudes, or some people aren't into small dudes, or you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And when when sexuality is essentialized in the way that we're discussing it, it's really hard to do that at an individual level. And that is why I think the framing of the idea of compulsory heterosexuality, compulsory heterosexuality but also compulsory sexuality in a range of different forms, mm. is kind of important because you've got to challenge the ideology as a whole rather than challenge the individual experiences of the ideology. Um, and it's really hard to do that because it is something that is so personal to people and feels so true and real and connected to their very being um, that it's really, really challenging to do that. Totally. Um, And also very fraught, you know. uh, mm. I mean, we have, like, even in an ideal situation, kind of where people, um, you know, weren't kind of, didn't face the barrier of feeling their sexuality was essential to being able to do this kind of work. I mean, you know, that's not even getting into the, the kind of shame that we have around sex and the kind of things that we like around sex. And the idea that somebody would come along, I don't, you know, I'm not saying this is what you were doing on Grindr, but yeah. the, idea, the, the idea that somebody would come along and kind of go, your sexual uh, interests or your sexual preferences are shit, um, mm. or at least feeling like that's what someone is 
saying to you is like super, super confronting. And I Absolutely. think that while, um, you know, like obviously the difference between kind of my preference, uh, like a sexuality that, that says I'm interested in men, not women has very different kind of social effects to saying my preference is like white guys, not Asian guys, you know, clearly we can look at kind of the, the, the very direct social harms associated with that. And with saying that, I think on the level of experience, those things can feel very similar. Yeah. Yep, yep. And I think that it's interesting that we talk about the sort of how difficult it is to to to, to raise the idea that you know you should challenge your own views of sexuality because I think one of the one of the side effects uh, and probably active side effects of the gay gene is it has meant that you have it's difficult to do that, but it's people find it very easy to have a go at people who do suggest that they aren't born this way or do suggest that they have the capacity to have active choices around their sexuality. And the example that I use all the time, and I've, I've used it probably too many times, is um, is Cynthia Nixon, mm. um, you know, the the actor from Sex and the City, who a number of years ago came out and said that um, she chose to be a lesbian and that uh, she is someone who has been married to a man and is now married to a woman and that she made an active choice to do so. And she was like, she, she was really attacked for doing so by people in the gay community for, 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 for the idea that she would have an active choice over her sexuality, you know, saying that it would really diminish the fight for gay rights and that it will, you know, allow all these right wingers to attack her and, and then people, and and then people saying, well, clearly, you know, she doesn't really know what she's talking about. She's just a bisexual or, you know, she's Ooh. just, a le- you know, she's just clearly, she's clearly just a lesbian who just took her time to figure it out. And that's what way she's always been something along those lines, people who were defining it for her, uh, who were saying, no, this is, this is the box you fit into. And so you ha- this, it has this perverse outcome in which, when people assign themselves to a box, it's really hard to challenge that box. But when people say, actually, I don't fit into a box, they get shoved into a box and told, you have to be in this box. You are that sexuality, and that is the way you will be. Mm, for sure. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to that thing of, um, you know, ideal, the nature of ideology, you know, that that as soon as our... Um, it's not even choices. I feel like choices is the wrong way of, um, of thinking about it. Uh, but it's our, our like, our theoretical like our possibility space for how we can think and view the world is constrained if it is constrained to something that's shitty that kind of has shitty uh material outcomes for us it limits our ability to then make our lives better or Mm. or or fight for a cause that can make the lives better of other people in similar situations yeah absolutely um well do you want to move on a little bit i was thinking also about um one of the things i think maybe if we to wrap this up and uh, to, to one of the questions and there's been a lot that we could that we've sort of covered here and a lot we could more we could unpack um maybe if people have a read of the essay that would be really great to get some feedback on that as well but i think one of the last things i wanted to, to ask you ben was um i'm not sure if you've seen it but i've seen a bunch of es- uh, evidence from the uk there was a poll done last year in the us which i just saw uh, last week that shows that increasing number of young people, this is sort of people aged 18 to 20, 24, so even younger than us, um, who no longer describe themselves as compulsorily, as completely heterosexual. So I think the poll out of the US was similar to the UK and both said 48% of young people said that they do not consider themselves compulsory, uh, completely, I keep saying compulsory because I've got that in my head, um, completely heterosexual, um, which suggests that there's this whole breakdown of the gay straight binary. Um, 
like, what does this say about our notions of sexuality and how is it that in a time of the gay gene and this sort of strong idea of this sort of born or made this way discussion that actually a whole bunch of people are going, actually, no, particularly young people are going, actually, no, we consider ourselves largely on a continuum that doesn't fit to one of those boxes. I mean, I think like many of these, I mean, I, I haven't read the story. I think I've seen headlines floating around, um, but I think like most stories that are put out in the news that say young people think something new that we didn't <laughs> expect, what it basically says is that the people driving these debates are pretty disconnected from like, from cultural and social change. Um, and, you know, it's a trite thing to say maybe, but, you know, general generational change is real and, 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 and people do kind of... Um, the way people think does does change over time, and I mean it's it's certainly unusual for for I can't imagine that having been the case when I was a, a teenager, for example, mm. which Same. was you know not all that long ago. It was ten years ago. Um, yep. I guess what is interesting. So on on one level, it's completely banal. I guess is like is what I'm saying. Yeah. I yeah. think what makes it interesting is the speed at which this is changing. Um, and I feel like you can say that about a lot of, um, things relating to, uh, sexuality and, and gender and, and, and community, the communities that kind of build up around this. We were talking just, uh, in the last episode about, um, the, how quickly we forget things around yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of violence against the community. And I feel like this is, um, uh, maybe something similar, like, or evidence of the same phenomenon, you know, that, that when, uh, we have these kinds of, um, you know, we, we build a culture around a thing that, that is not the way that cultures, cultures usually develop, which is kind of through families and, and through communities that have that kind of continuity. And so kind of all bets are off when it comes to, to sexuality and gender, mm. because we're just getting these kind of new people having new experiences and things can change really quickly. Um, I mean, in terms of like why this is happening, God, I feel like, anything and particularly as you said in the face of the 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 dominance of of born this way and and gay gene stuff i I mean i feel like it would be anything i would say would be wholly speculative and and Mm. would only speak to my complete lack of insight into um you know people not all that much younger than me I think there's maybe I'm going to speculate wildly, um, but like I think that there's a potential here that what we're seeing is is a flow-on effect from a gay rights movement, from a gay and lesbian rights movement that was not expected, and which, uh, whilst uh, often uh, older members of the movement were were reinforcing the idea of biology-based sexuality, the the opening up of sexual discussion that was created by the gay rights movement has led to younger people um, exploring their sexuality more freely uh, and doing so in, I guess, a very sort of quiet manner that I think is shocking people when when you see these polls. And I've only seen I've seen a few now. Actually, I did a bit of research after I read the few, and it's not just a one-off thing. This is something that I've said that seems to be repeating in the research, um, and it's happening sort of under the surface. It's not. It's not. It's not 
doesn't seem to be loud and out there. It's occurring at the same time that um, that gay movements, mainstream gay movements, are reinforcing the ideas of, of marriage and monogamy and and all of those sorts of things and and gays being just like straights. And at the same time, under the surface, there's this this, this cohort of people who are going, well, we're neither of those things. We probably don't want any lots of those things, and we're just going to do it quietly and and be on with our way. And I think that sort of looping this back around to Richard's essay, um, what it has the potential, and, you know, this is really early days and, you know, again, I might be speculating wildly, what it has the potential to do is to provide a challenge to that that institution of compulsory heterosexuality and that ideology of compulsory heterosexuality that we've spoken about. Um, and I think that, um, that this is a sort of almost like a potential of a quiet quiet shifting of that, a quiet challenging of that ideology that nobody, I don't think, saw coming. Hmm. Uh, okay, well, we might end it there. That sounds great. That's it for us today. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks, uh, which you can find on queers.podomatic.com. Uh, from there, you can just subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And you can also go to iTunes and search for us at Queers, and you'll be able to subscribe there. Uh, in the meantime, you can catch me at Simon Copland on Twitter. And I'm at Ben C. Riley. And thanks all, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.